0: In the final chapters of the book of Genesis, in Parashat as Jacob's life draws to a close, he gathers his twelve sons around him to give them his blessings. Now, while the term blessings is usually used to describe these pronouncements, a closer examination reveals something quite different. Jacob's barachos, barachot, are not conventional blessings in the traditional sense, rather They are profound and enigmatic declarations that require careful unpacking and interpretation. As Jacob imparts his words to each of his sons, it becomes clear that his messages contain a mixture of prophecy, guidance, and commentary on the unique characteristics and destinies of each individual. The blessings are far from straightforward, carrying both positive positive and challenging aspects. They reflect the complexities of human nature and familial relationships, portraying the strengths and weaknesses of Jacob's sons. In many cases, the words of blessings allude to events and circumstances that will unfold in the future, or that happened in the past, offering glimpses into the nature and destiny of the tribes they represent. Jacob's hold layers of meaning that are just begging to be uncovered. Each one invites us to explore the intricate interplay between the past, present and future and to contemplate the roles and responsibilities that lie ahead for each of Jacob's sons. In this journey of interpretation and understanding, we discover that Jacob's blessings are not merely blessings They are profound insights into the nature of human existence and the unfolding of history. The blessings begin, as one might expect, with Jacob's words to Reuven, his eldest son. Reuven, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruit of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. I think we can all agree. So far, so good. But after these opening words of praise, Jacob takes a sharp turn. In fact, it's a bit of a U turn. Unstable as water, you shall no longer be preeminent, for when you mounted your father's bed, you brought disgrace. My bed, he mounted. All the commentaries are astounded by this second part of the blessing. After all, these are the last words spoken directly to Uvain by his father, who will imminently die. What was his intent? What was his message? Now, the assumption is always, when we are talking about Jacob's children, that they are very holy people. They are able to take rebuke and they are open to words of Mussar. So while we, you and me, might not ever recover if our father spoke to us like that on his deathbed, one must assume that Reuven was made of different stuff than we are. The other aspect that we need to take into consideration is that it is even possible that Jacob had plenty more that he said to Reuven in that final encounter. It is only that it was not recorded for posterity. The Torah is not an exact record of all the dialogue that took place. Only the words that were worth recording are included in the Torah, because they contain important lessons, not only for the ones they were said to, but for us as well. Which means that these words said by Jacob to Reuven and the words spoken to his brothers and to his nephews, Ephraim and Manasseh, are also directed at us. We also need a bit of background to the second part of Jacob's so-called blessing for Reuven, the harsh part. These harsh words related to an incident back in Bereshia's Pereglamed He chapter 35, which took place when Jacob's family was living near Shechem. Immediately after Rachel died, Jacob decided to spend the night with Bilhah, his concubine, and Rachel's devoted maidservant. But Reuven believed that Bilhah should not occupy the place of honour that he felt belonged to his mother Leah, Rachel's sister. Motivated by feelings for his mother's honour and dignity, he moved Jacob's bed out of Bilhah's tent and into his mother's tent. A defiant act that made Jacob very angry at the time, and clearly the anger was still there decades later. This incident was the primary reason for Jacob's harsh words to Reuven during his deathbed blessings. Reuven's action was considered a severe transgression in his father's eyes and, according to the moral and cultural norms of the time, a grave offence. Reuven's inappropriate behaviour was a display of impulsive and disrespectful attitude, characteristics which Jacob found deeply troubling. With that all clarified, let's take a look at Ramban's commentary. Ramban focuses in particular on the phrase Pachas kamayim al toisar Unstable as water, you shall no longer be preeminent. The word Pachas denotes a state of being, says Ramban. It describes individuals who are hasty, impulsive, people who lack restraint and are flippant. Ramban proves that the word Pachas is used elsewhere in Tanakh to describe individuals who are hasty and lack good judgment. He also quotes a Gemara in Adorim. Daftesomad base, where there is a story of a nozir who, before becoming a nozir, passed by a stream and saw a reflection of himself in the water. The nozir says, Nistakalti Bhavabya Sheli, Upachas Yitri Olay. I looked at my reflection in the water, and my impulses overcame me, which was why he decided to become a nozir. The word Pachas means uncontrolled impulses. Continues Ramban. Just as water flows quickly and cannot be contained, so too those who act impulsively and lack self-control cannot be contained. As Yaakov Avinu explained to Reuven, and to be clear, he was not telling him off. He was simply explaining to him why he could never be a leader. You will not excel because you went up to your father's bed. As a result of Reuven's impulsiveness and lack of judgment, He defiled what should have been sacred, just as the uncontrolled waters defile and destroy everything in their path. A tsunami, as we all know, is unfiltered, uncontrolled water that rages over everything in its path, destroying whatever it comes into contact with. This idea of uncontrolled and therefore dangerous impulsiveness, says Ramban, can be likened to the description of turbulent waters in the Torah. For example, when God made the mighty river Nile rise and overflow, flooding all its channels so that they no longer provided irrigation, as described in Yashiah chapter 8. In this context, the waters symbolise chaos and destruction. Jacob uses exactly this analogy to describe Reuven's impulsive and reckless behaviour. Let's expand on Ramban's commentary. What was Jacob trying to say? It's simple, really. Reuven's impulsive and hasty actions meant that he had to lose his status as the firstborn, a position that held great importance in ancient culture. Ramban is highlighting the idea that a leader should always be composed and thoughtful, and consider the long-term consequences of their actions. Reuven's focus on an immediate result without considering the broader implications, ultimately cost him his birthright. But it's not just about him, it's also about us. This lesson extends beyond the biblical narrative and holds relevance in contemporary life. Ramban's commentary sees Jacob's blessing as a message from the dawn of Jewish history about what it means to be a leader. It encourages us to avoid hasty decisions and to think critically about our actions before and after we do them, especially when it comes to matters of responsibility and ethics. Being impulsive and disregarding the long-term consequences of one's actions will always lead to negative outcomes and to the loss of reputation and influence, which is why it is so important to consider the broader context and consequences of our decisions and not to act solely based on our immediate desires and impulses. In modern times, one of the most outstanding examples of this kind of leadership was Steve Jobs, the co-founder of Apple and one of the most influential figures in the tech industry. He's best known for his visionary leadership and innovative products, but there is a lesser-known story regarding his life that highlights the value of patience and long-term thinking. In 1985, after a power struggle at Apple, Steve Jobs was actually ousted from the company he had co-founded. Feeling betrayed and angry, he decided to start a new computer company called Next Inc. He poured his energy and resources into Next, with the aim of creating the best computer the world had ever seen. As we all know, Jobs also had a reputation for perfectionism and a desire for aesthetic beauty. And as a result, the development process was prolonged. And the Next Computer faced numerous delays and cost overruns. The market was changing rapidly and it seemed that Next might miss its window of opportunity. A few years had passed And Next still was struggling to gain a significant market share. In 1996, more than a decade after Jobs had been forced out of Apple, the struggling company, Apple, decided to acquire Next. Apple was facing its own challenges at the time, and was in need of fresh ideas and leadership. Steve Jobs returned to Apple, bringing with him the innovative Next operating system. It was a triumphant homecoming, but it wasn't an immediate success. Apple faced significant financial and operational hurdles in the late 1990s, but Jobs never lost sight of the big picture. He was extraordinarily patient. Instead of making hasty decisions, he focused on rebuilding the company's core product lineup and refining the user experience. Every step was small, but they were all sure-footed and well-grounded. And over the years, as we all know so well, Apple introduced a series of groundbreaking products including iMac, iPod, iPhone and iPad, all of which transformed the company and the technology industry. The rest, as they say, is history. Apple became one of the world's most successful and most influential technology companies with a loyal customer base and a reputation for innovation and design excellence. Steve Jobs' story illustrates the importance of patience, long-term thinking and perseverance. He was never a pachaz kamayim. No, he always took the long view. Not a raging waterfall, more of a drip, drip, drip. And he got there in the end, despite being ousted from Apple and despite facing numerous setbacks with Next. He did not abandon his vision, nor did he rush to make impulsive decisions to get there. Instead, he patiently waited for the right opportunity and then he seized it when it came. Steve Jobs often emphasised the importance of patience, long-term thinking and perseverance in his speeches and interviews. Here is one famous quote that highlights his approach. He said, You can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backward. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. That was Steve Jobs, and that is what Jacob was saying to Reuven. Leadership is not an impulsive role. It is a slow slog. Before moving on to Shimon and Levy, let me mention that Sforono takes the Ramban's idea about Reuven a little bit further. He suggests that Jacob's words to Reuven were not just a condemnation and a telling-off, but a father's call to his son for self-improvement. Sforano believes that Jacob was urging Reuven to overcome his impulsive nature and his instability. And it's so true because there's no greater blessing than being goaded into self-improvement. Jacob is prompting his son, challenging him to change his character and to become a more responsible and thoughtful individual and also to instill that quality in his children and in his descendants. Interestingly, in the future, when the Jewish people embarked on the conquest of Canaan, it was Reuven who fought in the vanguard, leading the army into battle as his descendants promised Moses they would on the plains of Moab. Let's move on now to Shimon and Levi. Shimon and Levi, brothers, their weapons are tools of lawlessness. Don't include me in their secrets, let not my soul be included in their congregation because in their anger they kill a man and when it suits them they injure an ox cursed be their anger so fierce and their wrath so relentless I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel wow harsh words right Jacob's startling rebuke of his sons Shimon and Levi recalls their violent destruction of the city of Shechem in retaliation for the rape of their sister Dina. Every Shechemite was killed and even the flocks were laid to waste. Jacob was horrified by what they had done then and now he revisits that moment, distancing himself from any association with his sons and condemning them for their anger, specifically for its ferocity and its cruelty. Ramban's interpretation of the word brothers, achim, is that it is not meant just in the sense of them being siblings, but as having a close bond, meaning that they were united, particularly in their passionate response to the dishonour of their sister. Ramban reads this actually as a partial defence of their actions, arguing that their combined zeal for their sister's honour led them to do what they did, implying that the consequences for them having done so should not be too severe, since their crime was motivated by a sense of justice, however misguided it may have been. Their weapons are tools of lawlessness. Ramban suggests that Jacob was expressing a clear distinction between himself and his son's actions, which were excessively violent and therefore considered cruel, lawless. According to Ramban, Jacob was not criticising Shimon and Levi because they avenged Dinah, but because they killed innocent men who had entered into a covenant with them and had been circumcised, suggesting that these men could have become part of their household, of the Jacob household, and been followers of God in the future had they lived. Don't include me in their secrets, let not my soul be included in their congregation. According to Ramban, this is Jacob's disavowal of the deceitful plan concocted by Shimon and Levi. Jacob declares for posterity that he had no part in their plans. He distances himself from the violent act so that no one would think he had advised or condoned it, which would have desecrated God's name by being associated with a holy man like him because in their anger they kill a man and when it suits them they injure an ox. Ramban again emphasises the unjustified extent of their vengeance, pointing out that they not only sought retribution against Shechem, the person who had wronged Dinah, but also against the entire city, no resident of whom was was guilty of any crime towards them or their family. Ramban mentions the Noachide imperative to establish courts of justice, referencing the Rambam's position that the people of Shechem were deserving of death because they failed to establish courts of law, which was one of the seven laws of Noach. But Ramban challenges this Rambam idea by asking as follows, if this were the case, why would Jacob curse his sons for their actions? He suggests that the appropriate justice would have been to punish only Shechem and his father, Chamor. Killing everyone else was unnecessary, especially as they had been incapacitated because they were circumcised just days earlier. Cursed be their anger, so fierce, and their wrath, so relentless. Jacob's curse is not directed at his sons, says Ramban, but rather at their anger and their wrath. Ramban interprets this as a condemnation of their excessive and indiscriminate violence. A person may suffer consequences because they get angry, but it is the inside of a person that counts. No one should ever become the anger that sometimes explodes from them in a tense situation. Finally, let's take a look at Jacob's blessing to Judah, whose descendants would eventually become the Davidic royal dynasty and the progenitors of Messiah, the ultimate redeemer of the Jewish people, and of humanity. Yehuda, Atah yodcha Judah, you are the one your brothers will acknowledge. Your strength will subdue your adversaries. b'nei avicha, gur Arya Yehuda, miteref beni Alisa, Your family will respect and honor you. You, Judah, are like a lion cub that has triumphed. You've grown powerful and secure, majestic like a lion. Who would dare challenge you now? Your leadership, Judah, is unshakable. Your authority remains firm. Ad ki yovoi shiloi velo amim until the arrival of the peacemaker to whom nations will gather. Asri la gefen iroi soreiko b'ni asoinoi You tie your donkey to the most luscious vine, a symbol of prosperity and abundance. Kibes bayayin your clothes are washed in wine a sign of joy your robes are rich with the lifeblood of grapes your eyes sparkle brighter than wine your teeth a gleaming white fresh as milk this incredible passage celebrates the strength leadership and prosperity that will come through the tribe of judah symbolizing an incredible future ahead under the guidance of the peacemaker moshiach tzidkenu the messiah it's a glittering vision of a vibrant community with a deep connection to the earth's bounty and to the joy of living and to god the imagery of Sparkling eyes and gleaming teeth conveys health, vigor, potency, vitality and the satisfaction of a life well lived. This prophecy assures us that the legacy of Judah and of the Jewish people that carries Judah's name is one of triumph, leadership and a blessings-filled future. The Ramban's commentary explores the deeper meaning of Jacob's blessings to Judah. Layosur shevet Mihuda. Ramban clarifies that this does not mean that Judah will wield uninterrupted power forever, as there will be times when Israel will be exiled and without a monarch, as prophesied in Dvarim chapter 28, Pesug vav. Nevertheless, The leadership and the right to rule will never pass from Judah to another tribe, the lawgiver will always ultimately come from Judah and the tribe of Judah will continue to hold significant authority over Israel until the coming of the Messiah. Ramban actually says that the kings from other tribes after King David were going against Jacob's will and were relying on the prophecy given to Yeruvam by the prophet Achiah Shiloni which indicated that the house of David would be punished, but not forever. You can see Achiah's prophecy in Melochim Aleph, Perikyud Aleph, Posuglamud Tes. Ramban also discusses the punishment of the Hasmoneans, the Chashmonoim, who were priests but became kings during the Second Temple period, after the Hanukkah story. Despite their great piety, and despite the fact that they preserved Torah and mitzvahs for the Jewish people in the face of great adversity. They had a bitter end. All of the Hasmonean priest kings were killed or deposed in terrible ways and the dynasty ended in great tragedy. <coughs> Ramban suggests that the Hasmoneans were also punished because they were from the tribe of priests of Levi, Kahanim, who had been commanded to focus on their priestly duties and not to reign as kings. All of this is Ramban's way of highlighting the theological and historical significance of the tribe of Judah in Israel and the consequences of deviating from the divine order as designated by Yaakov Ovinu, Jacob, on his deathbed. Ramban is stressing that the leadership of Israel was always meant to come from Judah, culminating in the Messiah and Moshiach. And deviations from this plan have always resulted and always will result in tragedy. Drawing from the enduring words of Jacob's blessing to Judah, the commentary of Ramban offers a profoundly positive and encouraging message for the Jewish people. The promise that La Yosr Shevet mihudah has resonated through the ages as a beacon of hope and assurance, of survival, of leadership and of continuity. Ramban elucidates this verse as a divine guarantee That the Jewish people will live to see the arrival of Mashiach. And throughout that time, there will be Judaic leadership. That in each generation will be a link in the chain that began with Judah. And that will culminate in messianic redemption. This idea is not about political power. It's a spiritual promise to the Jewish people. That they will always have guidance, direction and a connection to the divine. And it's so true. Throughout history, the Jewish people have faced countless trials and tribulations. But the promise to Judah, realised in every place and every era, ensured our resilience and our unbreakable spirit. The sceptre of Judah represents more than mere authority. It symbolises the eternal flame of Jewish faith, of Jewish learning and of Jewish law that has never been extinguished, even in the darkest of times. This blessing ensures that despite all attempts by our enemies to destroy or assimilate the Jewish people, the Jewish nation will not only survive but will also thrive. It instills in us a sense of hope and pride in the continuation of a tradition that has contributed so much to the world in terms of ethics, wisdom and the pursuit of justice. It's also not a historical message bound in some ancient cultural nostalgia. Totally not. In fact, it is a timeless message that is as relevant right now as it has always has been throughout history. It speaks to the heart of every Jewish generation, promising that their cultural and religious identity will endure and that they will continue to be a light unto the nations. It's a celebration of the Jewish spirit, the joy of their festivals, the depth of their scholarship and their commitment to God's covenant, in a world that often seems overwhelmed with uncertainty. The words of Jacob to Judah offer a powerful assurance of the Jewish people's lasting legacy. The sceptre has not departed, nor will it ever depart, as the Jewish people continue to live with purpose, contribute with passion and look forward to a future that is bright with promise and with peace. Let Moshiach come soon to hasten God's world towards its ultimate destination. Bimhera Amenu, Amen the Amen. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Thank you.